0: Whether you're just starting to plan your career path, you're a hard worker seeking greater opportunity, an aspiring entrepreneur, or a business person at the top of your game. Radio 111 presents The Success Doctor, a roadmap to best practices to help you achieve your best professional life with Dr. Stone James. Here's Stone.
1: Hello, this is Dr. Stone James with The Success Doctor. Welcome back. I'm glad that you're able to be a part of the, the conversation today. Uh, we have got a, uh, a regular contributor, a Dr. Michael Falco, and we're pleased to have him join us today. And we're going to be tackling some interesting issues, some important issues. Uh, we're going to be talking about getting back into the workforce for the more experienced or the older worker the older applicant and so we've had some good discussions about some of the ideas of let's say removing dates from your resume not overwhelming the interviewer with a 15 page resume but rather abbreviating the resume to two pages and providing just uh, the important highlights and not including every single job that you've ever had, but rather talking about the jobs that are relevant for the position. And also talking about the jobs, about the about the well, not only what you accomplished, not just what you did. I managed X, I did this, but rather how do you monetize it? How do you translate that? How do you put a monetary value on the value that you brought or the things that you accomplished? And so those are important factors. Uh, There's just so much, but Dr. Falco, are you there? I sure am. Hey, so I appreciate you making the time to join us today. And so we've got a lot to tackle, and there's not necessarily one point that's any more important than others. Uh, One of the things that I have been wanting to talk about is the importance of keeping the conversation focused. And uh, in in a previous discussion, we talked about not falling down rabbit holes. And so do you have any thoughts about kind of trying to stay on track, not distract people when they answer that question? We're going to answer it succinctly, but we're also not going to try to introduce too many things that may distract the conversation. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Absolutely. Uh, You know, to be part of an organization's culture uh, is not something that is as simple as a light switch. You know, as humans, we often don't Life change. We're not geared for change. Uh, as a result, it, those people who can more easily adapt to change, who are more flexible, tend to be the ones that are desired in the workplace. Because let's face it, society changes, economics changes, technology changes. There's so many different types of changes that affect the workplace and affect us as you know contributors to that workplace, and also. In our own personal lives, that it can be very difficult. Uh, as we get older, we tend to become more rigid, and when we're more rigid, we're less flexible. Well, if we understand that, if we're, for example, an older worker, which you know I get to claim, uh, I get to claim that right. Uh, we understand that we tend to not be as flexible as some of the, the younger generations. Then we can address that head-on and actually soften that rigidness and allow us to more easily adapt to those new and somewhat younger organizational cultures. Uh, But there's a couple of things to recognize. And that is, you know, the, the older workers tend to be more skilled and experienced. And as a result, leveraging that skill and experience in just the right fashion, just the right mixture is going to be a key to success for an older worker that's wanting to you know, take advantage of these younger cultures uh, and these younger organizations, because they have the ability to help. And, and one way, uh, especially if you're an executive or you have you know, a significant senior management experience is the ability to mentor. A lot of the younger folks in organizations, they tend to be, you know, hotshot uh, developers, they're hotshot, you know, programmers and software engineers, perhaps, but they lack a lot of the emotional intelligence that comes with 15 or 20 years of work experience and dealing with the obstacles and opportunities that come across, you know, those many years. Well, older workers tend to have that, and they've developed very, very good uh, and strong skill sets that can be utilized, and that's a very strong feature that younger organizations that are smart and recognize the value of that they can take you know they can leverage it. Uh, and the second one that's that pops up right away is work ethic. A lot of the older workers tend to Stay on the job longer. They tend to be uh, more focused, and they actually take fewer days off. You know, a lot less time off. They also have less responsibility, perhaps, at home than a lot of the younger workers who may have, you know, kids you know, soccer games to go to or, you know, ballet recitals. Well, you, the older workers, most of their kids are probably, you know, grown and moved on. Maybe they're, you know, getting to spend some time with grandkids every so often, but they don't have the day-to-day, uh, you know, requirements uh, and, and uh, responsibilities that some of the younger workforce has. So that can be a very strong benefit to organizations that can take advantage and, and leverage that uh you know, I don't want to say that they have you know, a stronger work ethic, perhaps, but they have a different and more valuable one in certain areas, and that can fit well into an organizational culture.
1: You know, you bring out an excellent point, and that is that concept of emotional intelligence. And on previous shows, I would alluded to the importance of managing the ego and keeping the ego in check. I've got a coworker who says, you need to check your ego at the door. And that's one of the things that I think is so relevant for every person at every level. And that is both your your own, how you manifest your own ego needs and how those ego needs are expressed or not expressed. And then also, how do you respect and and tread lightly on other people's egos. And so you know, I, I saw a situation where there was a, well, I had been in a situation where I was a younger person coming into an environment, and I was dealing with, uh, in one case, I was younger, substantially younger than the person that I was managing, or I was younger than other people who are now on my level but who had been with the organization a lot longer, and that was one of the things that I really strived to ensure that I had was the emotional intelligence, and to make sure that I showed them the respect and deference for their experience, for their time in the organization, and ultimately just for them as individuals. And and I, I took extra care, and I'm not saying I did a perfect job of it, uh, you know I. I'm sure I could have done things better. Uh, I don't know that I had huge mistakes, but I, I tried to really pay attention. I tried to tread softly. Uh, there was a saying that I'd heard years ago that I loved, and that was, be careful in the words you choose because you never know what words you'll have to eat. And so that's something that I've always tried to be sensitive to is, am I, am I, in, Am I invoking someone's ego? Am I th- challenging or threatening someone's ego? Because if I'm doing that, either intentionally or unintentionally, by challenging their ego, what I've done is I've done two things. I have created an enemy that will, will that will willingly die on the hill to defend their ego. And then two, I have more or less given up any hope of constructively solving the problem. And so I've seen people who, I've asked myself, gosh, are they just looking for a, a fight, an ego fight, or do they actually wanna solve a problem? And so that whole emotional intelligence, I think, is really important. In fact, one of the things that I'm a huge fan of, and I'm sure, well, I know how well, how well read you are, but that is is that, are you constantly reading? Are you, are you incorporating new thoughts? Are you looking at things differently? Do you recall, uh, our body of knowledge, as a race, has doubled, and I want to say it's doubled in our lifetime. Do you recall the specifics of that?
2: Um, I'm, I'm, I do recall that when we look at. The concept of, you know, the the body of knowledge that we produce, uh, information is being produced so fast and so rapidly that we're actually going to run out of the ability to classify the volume of it in terms of, you know, the late, the the knowledge we, or the the terminology we use is, you know, gigabytes or terabytes or petabytes or exabytes. We're going to actually run out of Terms to be able to describe the amount of information we're producing because we're producing it at such a rapid pace and from so many different sources, uh, especially when we start looking at you know areas like social media and people with video capabilities and. and you know, capturing pictures and capturing, you know, video, uh, it, it's, it's astounding. And, you know, we look at it, you know, in the technology world, uh, in the classroom, I'll talk about, you know, what comes after the petabyte, what comes after the, the exabyte. Uh, we start to get into yottabyte and zettabyte, and it, and, and we don't even have anything next, you know, to come after that. Uh, there, there's a term that will, that'll be up uh, chosen, uh, relatively soon because we're running out of, of ways to describe it. But, it's interesting you bring up the concept of the body of knowledge because if you think about it, that's what older workers bring to the table that the younger workers just do not have. They can have special, the younger ones can have specialized knowledge because they just learned right out of school the latest and greatest, you know, technology or the latest and greatest, you know, business practices or whatever that may be. But the older worker knows how to utilize that in an environment that creates productivity, and it doesn't even matter what field it's in. They understand how to make it work. They understand the customer, uh, you know, business relationship. They understand how critical that is. They understand the value of training, for example, because let's face it, they've been trained a lot in their, you know, 30-plus years uh, of their career where the youngsters – so their concept of training was when they took their the most recent college class for example, or vocational class that they took, and so the older uh, workforce understands how the customer in needs and enjoys consistency and personal attention and so there's there's aspects of what the older workforce can bring in terms of that that emotional intelligence that you mentioned stone that is so essential that If you think about it, you know, it'd be really good if if those youngsters, so to speak, had the ability to absorb some of that from the older workforce. And what we're finding is good, solid leaders in organizations recognize that and they create mentorship programs where they literally will pair an older person who's maybe looking at retirement soon uh, with that younger person to advance that younger person's emotional intelligence.
1: Dr. Falco, you bring an excellent point and we're going to continue that point uh, in uh, talking about that mentor opportunity and how when you've got a younger person and an older person, that older person is not challenged or threatened professionally by that younger person and it might, there might be incredible opportunities to mentor the younger folks with the years of experience that that older professional has. And so this is Dr. Stone James on The Success Doctor, and we've got a wonderful and regular contributor, Dr. Michael Falco, and we have got some great things to come.
0: helping you achieve professional goals and objectives with tried and true approaches in the workplace. This is The Success Doctor on Radio 111. Now, here's Dr. Stone James.
1: This is Dr. Stone James on The Success Doctor. Welcome back. And we are very fortunate to have a regular contributor, and that is Dr. Michael Falco on today's show. And we are talking about a number of things, but we're talking about the older population. And that really could be, if we were to take a look at three acts in someone's life, that could be someone who is in their second act, or maybe even transitioning to the third act. How do you, how do you get the job that you want? How do you package your experience? And how do you, how do you weave a compelling tale and stand out as the person that they need to hire. And so one of the things that we've been talking about is we've talked about a lot, and what we recently had kind of discussed was what are you reading? And I think that's always an interesting reflection of who you are and how are you actively diversifying your thought process. And so what are you taking in, what are you consuming? But one of the things that Dr. Falco had talked about previously was the importance of being adaptable. And there was a book that I think that anyone in, oh, really, I think any sector, quite candidly, whether it be private sector, public sector, nonprofit sector, uh, there is a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins, and, and we could have an entire radio program, just or many radio programs, just dissecting this book. This book was the product, I wanna say, of five years of research, this is from memory, but five years of research by an entire research team. And they took a look at Fortune uh, 500 companies that went from either poor performance or mediocre performance for a period of 15 years Followed by a kind of a definite turning point, followed by a a a strong performance as measured three times the market average or better for fifteen years. If an entire industry did really well, then they 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 did not include that company within the research. and they wanted to do it for fifteen years because they did not want to capture companies whose success was driven by a particularly charismatic CEO. They wanted to try to find out what what about those com- do companies like that exist? And what about those companies took them from good to great? And so after evaluating, I want to say it was 1400 companies, they found 11 companies that fit that profile that went from good to great. And so one of the aspects of that discussion, and we won't dive into too much, um, uh, too, too much detail, but it built on what Dr. Falco was saying earlier, and how do you be adaptable? And a finer point on that is Dr. Collins, or uh, Jim Collins rather, he, he talked about the companies that were most successful, they got the right person on the bus, and then they got the right person in the right seat. And he used the bus analogy because buses inevitably can change direction. They may have to change direction based on what's going on in the market. And so the companies that really had that good performance, they sought to get great employees, great team members on the bus in the company. And once they had those great people, if the company needed to pivot or shift, they had great people that could accommodate that pivot or that shifting. And so I think that's been a big crux of today's discussion is that ability to be adaptable, the ability to check your ego at the door, the ability to look at how do I fit in this team and how do I contribute to this team and how do I essentially build momentum? How do I help that organization achieve their mission? So Dr. Falco, I think you had a couple of points about Uh, well mentorship and how older workers can teach some of the younger workers and I thought that was a very good point Uh, did you have any thoughts on on salary on how an older worker who may at some point have been compensated greatly how they approach that
2: yes absolutely it it turns out that you know one of the the biggest concerns that often comes about uh, during an interview especially when an employer a prospective employer gets to that stage of okay i think i kind of like this person and maybe i'm going to potentially offer them a, a job the question then is how do you get past the issue of salary requirements uh, and this really applies to just about anybody uh, young or uh, older but it because again now we're in that trade your time and experience for money and the question is what is a favorable trade and sometimes people are very desperate for the the position. They've been out of work, perhaps, so they'll take anything. The problem is, again, that balance has to be there. Uh, So, you know, hiring managers are are very hesitant to hire older workers, it's it's a stigma, because they believe that uh, that those workers want a higher salary, and it's important to look at how salary requirements play into the mix.
1: And so, really, what you're also saying, Dr. Falco, is is that is the person showing up just for a paycheck, or are they showing up because the work has meaning? Right. And and I think that that's something that's mission critical. If you are purpose driven, versus the person who's just showing up, who uh, is just there to collect the paycheck. I don't know if I'm not if I'm building a team. I am not interested in having the person who's just going to show up because they're trying to get a paycheck. I want a person who believes in the mission, who's passionate about the mission, and who's going to do their best to achieve that mission. So this is Dr. Stone James, and we have our special contributor, Dr. Michael Falco, and this is the success doctor. We've got some great things to come, and I look forward to you being a part of that conversation.
0: The doctor is in. Putting your best foot forward on the job with Dr. Stone James on The Success Doctor. From Radio 111, here's Stone.
1: Hi, this is Dr. Stone James, and we have special contributor Dr. Michael Falco on The Success Doctor. I appreciate you making the time, and I'm glad that you're a part of the discussion. So we've been talking today about some really important things on how to land the interview how to how to be adaptable right we had talked about the fact that it's it has not always been the strongest that has survived it has not always been the the biggest or the smartest but what is consistently survived is the most adaptable so we've had that how do you adapt to the situation how do you read the room how do you exercise the emotional intelligence to understand there was a quote that I read years ago from Dale Carnegie. So when we talk about books, when we talk about what is it in your library, what are you reading? And the, we, we, we Just a moment ago we talked about the book Good to Great. And we talked about how do you be the right person to get on the bus. So you get the right people on the bus and you get the right people in the right seats. And then wherever that road takes you, wherever the market takes you, you've got a great team to help you accomplish those goals there was a saying that uh an author dale carnegie uh he had he had written a little book and uh, it sold a couple of copies uh since 1932 and so i'm i'm i've got this book good to great in my hand and this was oh probably written in the 90s now i suppose uh maybe the early 2000s And the jacket says, number one bestseller, one million copies sold. So how about this? I wanna say that the Dale Carnegie book, uh, the copy that I had was probably from the 90s also, and at that point, uh, it had sold 15 million copies. It had been translated to over 250 languages. And so that's another absolute muster read for sure. It's about how to be essentially good human, how to get along and work with others and really get the best out of yourself and others. Um, and that is, is how to win friends and influence people. But one of the things that Mr. Carnegie had said was, bait the hook to suit the fish. And Dale had said that, hey, I love strawberries and cream. But when I go trout fishing, trout, they don't like strawberries and cream, they do like worms. And so it'd be appropriate for Dale, if he's fishing for trout, to use worms, what the trout likes, in order to try to catch the trout. And, and I think that is still very much the case in life. And so, uh, Dr. Falco, I would love to get some of your thoughts on this concept of network. Years ago, there was a, uh, a wonderful woman whom I had worked with in the real estate development world, and she was a title professional. And she had recommended a book called The Power of Who. And it was an interesting book. I wasn't too excited about it initially when I heard about it. it didn't sound that interesting when I read it. It, uh, it resonated. And essentially, The Power of Who, more or less, if I were to take 150 pages and distill it down into four sentences, it more or less talked about, you know everyone that you need to know within your circle. It may not be a direct contact, but there are very well likely people within your circle who know someone that can connect you to who you need to be connected with. And that really reshaped my thinking in terms of just my my professional and personal circle. And so Dr. Falco, do you have any thoughts about if someone's looking for a job, do they just only limit their search to online where they have no face, they have no name, and they're just submitting their information in a miserable portal and attaching a resume in hopes that somehow out of 200 applicants they'll stand out? Or do you think that she'd be trying to work their network and reach out to people that way?
2: Well, clearly, Stone, the network is going to win out uh, hands down. Uh, What we're finding is, especially in the uh, the tech sector, uh, the interviews that, you know, people are doing uh, based on online connections, whether it's LinkedIn or Monster or any of these uh, job sites or or career sites, what we're finding is a lot of organizations maybe don't even really have openings yet or they're openings, but they haven't gotten funding yet for it or they're just out there doing kind of a survey, uh, whether it's a job specification survey, a job salary survey, they're literally out there Doing things that do not end up ultimately, you know, uh, resulting in a job for for an applicant, and it, it's unfortunate because these applicants are a serious about trying to find a job, and they're put a lot of effort into these uh, these multi level interviews. Well, it it's it's not a rocket science to recognize that an older worker probably has a pretty good network. And that network can be tapped literally word of mouth. Uh, Most jobs come from people you know. And the reason is, very simply, if I'm looking to fill a vacancy, and somebody in my, as you put it, circle, says to me, oh, you should talk to Bob or Carol, They have a lot of experience in that area. They would be great. What better recommendation could I ever get than somebody in my circle who I trust? So that's basically almost a foregone conclusion that that person is going to be at the top of my list before I even interview them. So clearly leveraging your network uh, usually will lead to opportunities that you may never have thought were possible. Uh, I, I could go through countless examples of how that was far better whether it's a professor that you know at, at, at the you know that you took a class from or whether it's your neighbor or anyone in your circle getting the word out that you're looking for something can result in a uh, in a score very very quickly and easily.
1: You know You, uh, Dr. Falco, you bring out an excellent point. I had a situation years ago when I wanted to get into a certain industry and it was a completely unrelated industry and I had finally made the decision that I wanted to do it and at the time I was training for triathlons, passionately loved it and I went to my uh, my it was probably a tuesday evening workout and it was with a group of other triathletes and we would all get together at a certain time out in the kind of the middle of nowhere and we would train we would cycle and then uh potentially we'd hop on you know we'd we'd start running afterwards but i went out there and i said oh you know what's going on talking to people and and i kind of put out like this is something that i would like to do and lo and behold a person in the group that i Knew I knew her name, very nice person. She said, oh my gosh, I have got a friend that does XYZ, let me put you in contact. And it was just amazing how when I put it out there, when I nonchalantly put it out there, I didn't try to burden anyone, I didn't try to make it anyone else's responsibility, but I just kind of voiced it. I had another situation where uh, I was dating a a, a wonderful woman and she was kind of, she, she was in a field that was kind of directly related to the field that I wanted to get into, although vastly different, and I had put it out to her, and she said, oh my gosh, I just met someone just the other day who does that. In fact, let me put you in contact with that person. And long story short, she was able to put together a informational interview, and I talked to that person for information purposes only. Right, so I wasn't trying to put pressure on that person, hey, I want a job, I expect something from you. But rather it was just, hey, can you, can you help me understand this? I'm interested, I think it would be interesting in this, I think it would fit my skill set, but I'd like to hear your opinion. And I approached it just from the informational standpoint. And at the end of the discussion, the person said, well, are you interested in having, you know, are you interested in pursuing an opportunity like this? I said, well, yes I am and he said well would you like an interview i said well i would love it and so that's how i and ultimately i interviewed and i ultimately got the job and so your point about leveraging your network and i would i would add that you never want to appear desperate you never want to burden someone else with the request and and i've always found very successful and and i would be curious your thoughts but when you talk to someone is it just kind of nonchalant hey do you happen to know anyone who might know someone for this field as opposed to hey michael do you have a job that i could have one puts a lot of pressure and focus on you and that may be a big burden for you and you may not want that burden you might not that stress but the other one hey you know uh, dr falco if you run across anyone who's you know looking for a competent professional uh, would, could you just if if you happen to think of it, would you let me know? Because I'm looking for something that I, I want to enjoy, I'd find passionate, blah blah blah. And so it's just if if you run across anything, I sure would appreciate you thinking of me and and making the introduction. Is that something that you could do? And that's something that is it's casual. Uh, there's no pressure. There's no expectations. Do you have any thoughts on on what I've just kind of shared there?
2: Absolutely, Stone. It turns out that uh, that it's something that I do almost every day uh, you know, in a collegiate environment uh, my students will come to me and say oh professor i'm looking for something do you have any any suggestions any recommendations and obviously in many cases i'm a pretty good judge of that person's you know capability not just academically but also socially because you know they appear before me usually uh, a couple of times a week maybe uh, over the course of the semester sometimes they take me for more than one class and as a result, I have a, a pretty good feel for them, uh, in terms of their capabilities of even their writing styles and, and their, and, and so forth. So when they come to me and they, and they suggest that, the very first thing I think to myself is, would I want this person to work for me? And if I, if I think yes, then I'm very likely to assist them, whether it's a letter of recommendation, maybe it's a, uh, An introduction uh, or something along those lines. It's that network that can get you that job. And I'll be the first to admit, my first job before I graduated from undergraduate school was obtained from one of my professors. And it was almost a fluke of nature, but the gentleman uh, that was my professor was consulting for a litigation support software company, and they were looking for a technical writer. Now, mind you, I'm about to graduate at the time with a a bachelor's degree in computer science and 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 a minor in mathematics, but I happen to be a very strong writer. And the only reason he knew that is because he assigned a a term paper in his class, a software engineering class. He returned my paper, gave me a a high grade and said, this is one of the most well-written papers I've ever seen. Uh, would, Would you be interested in a technical writing position? And I thought to myself, well, I I I guess so. I mean, I hadn't even thought about it. I was thinking that you know I was going to have to go out into the world and try to find that you know that tech job back in the uh, in the early nineties, nineteen ninety to be exact. And as it turned out, I literally got a phone call from the owner of the company because the, my professor was literally said, "Oh, this is the guy you want." So yes. That is the type of mechanism that you want to take advantage of. Leverage your network, but don't do it in a way that puts pressure. Absolutely right.
1: Well, that is excellent feedback, Dr. Falco. And it really, it sounds like that you were acting with integrity. You were acting with consistency. And that integrity, that consistency uh, and that, that relationship building that you had demonstrated with that professor really paid off. So you are listening to Dr. Stone James and Dr. Michael Falco on The Success Doctor, we have got some great things to come.
0: This is The Success Doctor on Radio 111, helping students and professionals at all stages along the journey to success. Now, here's Dr. Stone James.
1: Welcome back. This is Dr. Stone James with The Success Doctor, and we are privileged to have a a regular contributor, and that is Dr. Michael Falco on our show today. And we've been talking about some really interesting things. We've been talking about people who are in their second or their third act of, of their careers or of their kind of their work life. And we've been talking about how to penetrate the job market. And we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about how to, how to try to reduce the opportunity for ageism on your resume by eliminating dates by uh, curtailing the information to no more than two pages and then even summarizing it even more to really focus on the core abilities um, that you possess. That relates to the job that you're applying. We've talked about rather than just uh, you know listing off the nauseating list of the things that you've managed or the programs that you've done, whatever, but really hone in on the points on, hey, I increased sales by X percent. I managed or I created a, a, a something that brought in fifty million dollars of revenue over a twenty year period how do you how do you monetize how do you translate what you accomplished to the monetary value so someone who is rushing through a resume or someone who's not deeply involved in an industry can understand oh wow, that was a big success right because we've talked about that uh Oh goodness, it was the behavioral interview formatting. Past actions are great predictors of future performance. Uh, So one of the things that I thought would be relevant, and and I know Dr. Falco's got some some great feedback on this, and that is is that, how do we pivot? I've seen some people over the years uh, that maybe they were involved in one field. They had been doing something on a volunteer basis or on a part-time basis that they were really passionate about and they wanted to pivot from one industry to another. And and in fact I think that's one of the things that this COVID has done. I think Dr. Falco had said the great what was it Dr. Falco how did you say that the great resignation?
2: Yes, yes, that's what that's what I'm hearing uh, in a lot of the uh, literature is that we're seeing the uh, beginning stages of what could ultimately be looked back and be referred to as the Great Resignation, where we're finding large swaths of the workforce basically saying, "No, I'm done." Uh, some of it is being forced uh, because of you know the issues associated with COVID, not necessarily going back to the workplace. Uh, a lot of you know stay-at-home uh, parents are finding that they have no choice now but to stay at home to uh deal with you know the the younger uh you know the, the young children that they're dealing with they can't be the dual you know dual income uh, like they were or they're switching to a new you know work from home type of uh, of a career and and you bring up a good point about pivoting uh that applies to just about any generation uh of, of worker, and, and there's some very good, solid perspectives uh, that, you know, that we could talk about as far as how do you pivot from one career to another.
1: Well, do we? Uh, I mean, I have a, I have an example of pivoting in my life that I'm happy to share. Do you have any examples of pivoting that you'd like to throw out there?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I, my, one of the most significant ones for me was halfway into my. My 30-plus-year career, uh, where I was mostly in the uh, information technology space as a a computer scientist and a project manager, I ended up uh, going to work for one of my clients, uh, which was a a medium-sized municipal government, and I basically took an IT position there, uh, became the IT director, which was about in line with what I was doing in the private sector, but then by a fluke of nature, uh, ended up in public administration. Uh, never having taken a course in public administration, short of the you know uh, political science 100 that we all uh, took as part of our uh, you know either undergraduate uh, degree or maybe even our high school American government class, and all of a sudden uh, I'm now in a completely different field. And, and looking back, uh, that 15 years and uh, that was was amazing, uh, and it gave me the opportunity to learn so many new things. So pivoting, pivoting is an important aspect. Of a career and and having that ability to embrace that change uh, can be an amazing opportunity.
1: So essentially since we don't have that much more time in today's show if we were to kind of capsulate what pivoting could look like that may be identifying those well I take a look at what is your passion what would you what do you want to spend the next 15, 10, 15, 20 years doing? and so what's that area and then the skill set the momentum that you've well let's go back to that book good to great and if we talk about the companies that truly had the breakthrough all of them built on existing momentum and so 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 what i hear you also saying is is that you took momentum from uh, from your first from your first act from your first set of careers and then you you move that over a little bit into a different field that you could still ride that wave of momentum, continue to build it, and then ultimately that yielded huge success. So I appreciate you being a part of the discussion. This is Dr. Michael Falco, who's been a special contributor, regular contributor on The Success Doctor with Dr. Stone James. We appreciate your time and we appreciate you being a part of this important conversation.